Uh, we pray that God blesses you today with the word. We are in a series called Rooted in Christ, a year of Christ-centered growth. You know, we are, we are hoping and praying for this, this to happen here at TLC, right? Because we know there are many Christians who believe and profess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and yet still they live their lives that's co- direct contrary to those beliefs. They, they declare with their mouths, I believe that God is here, but their character does not reflect that change of their life. Right? And so here they are, they're, 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 they're saying all the right things, they're, they're putting on the, all the right show, they have the right facade, but in their heart of hearts, there is no change. In their heart of heart, at best, at best, they're inconsistent in their Christian life. God shows up once in a while, and you give praise to God once in a while, and that's all you have. But at worst, at worst, you become a hypocrite. Because here you are, you profess something, but there's no transformation to char- character change. And the problem is not in Jesus. The problem is in its believers. And so many times as believers, we become the wall to why people cannot experience and know Christ. Because oftentimes, believers, we profess with our mouths, yet there is no change in our hearts. And Rooted in Christ is a series to kind of help us understand what brings change. Because to believe and to have character change, there must be a bridge. And this bridge is what the Christians call the Christian disciplines that helps mold the truth of of who God is and what he stands for and what he's about deep into the heart of believers so that the truth becomes this expression of their life. And so this series was designed to kind of hit up these topics of worship as a discipline, community as a discipline, discipleship as a discipline, mission as a discipline. And my my, my hope and my heart is that I'll I'll give one week in telling you why why we have worship, why we have community, why we have discipleship, why we have missions. And then one week in telling you the how. How do we go about doing that? And last few weeks we've talked about, we've covered worship as one of those unique disciplines, the worship of God, the ascribing ultimate value to God with your mind, with your heart, with your will, right? Doing it in your church, doing it in your home, doing it in your, um, in your workplace. If you missed those, go back and check it out uh, to kind of help you with that. Last week, I shared about community. I talk about why we have this unique Christian community, what it is. The, the, the beautiful thing about the Christian nature of this family community that we have is that it's a non-selective community, it's a non-private community, it's a non-safe community, and it's a gracious community, right? It's a community where we're not, we're not brought together because we're all in the same homogenous way. We're, we're from different walks of life, we're from different pedigrees, we're from different statuses, we're from different work areas, and yet we're able to come, out, come together and not be selective in who we connect with. The church is that. The community of God is meant to be like that. It's not supposed to be private either. That when you are in a family, there is no privacy to a point, right? You're you're sharing with each other what's going on. You're dealing with the deep hurts, the deep problems, the deep issues. You're dealing with family problems, husband problems, wife problems, personal problems. You're allowing these things to be transparent. And by being transparent, it's not safe. It's not safe because you're putting yourself out there. There's a vulnerability that's involved. There's an openness that's involved. To, to be this Christian community, this family of God, this body, it, it re- requires our hearts to think about we're not going to be selective, we're not going to be private, we're not going to be vulnerable, and we're going to be gracious. 
It means that being gracious, it means we're, we're, we're opening and extending our arms to everyone around us. Right? We're exclusive because we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. There is no other way. Jesus himself declares that. But we're inclusive in that we know that we're sinners like everybody else. There is no way that we look at anyone from the outside and think that we're in and they're out. We don't have that mentality. Because reality is we're all sinners in need of salvation. Has, we have no pedigree that we can compare ourselves to. All we have is Jesus Christ. You guys follow? And, that, and that's, the, that's the, the essence of the nature of the Christian community. Today I want to share with you guys how do we go about creating this community. How do we go about creating this Christian community that's not selective, that's not private, that's, that's not uh, safe, that's gracious to the way around us. How do we go about doing that? All right. I have a confession for you guys. These how-to messages, they end up being very long. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, like, I started writing this one, and it ended up being, like, actual, like, five pages, which is ten pages, right? And I thought to myself, well, should I do it? Should I do it? Right? And then I realized, I know my flock. I will not do it. Right? So we're going to do half of it, right? We're going to do half of it. Half of it. We're going to cover how do we create this Christian community within the church things. And then on the Word of the Week this, this coming Wednesday, I'm going to share with you how to do it in the community, in your home, and in your workplace, okay? So tune in for that. If you don't watch Word of the Week, tune in for Word of the Week, okay? That's my shameless plug for that, all right? But today I want to share with you how do we create this Christian community that's not selective, that's not private, not safe, that's gracious to everyone in our church, in this building, in this place that we call the gathering of God's people. So open your Bibles, and let's, uh, let's get into it. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2. And actually, we're going to start a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit up at uh, verses 37. Acts chapter 2, we're going to go 37, and we're going to go all the way down to 40, 47, 10 verses. Let me walk you guys through this. This is the first Christian community. I want you guys to learn it, because this is a really practical message, so it's going to be a lot of how-to, so if you want to take notes, take notes, okay? It's uh, six how-tos, okay? So seven how-tos, all right? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I'm sorry, 30, 37 to 47. So it starts off, Peter has preached a message. He stood up, filled with the Holy Spirit. He gathered this huge crowd that was around him, and he preached this message of the gospel. He preached the message of who Jesus Christ was to all these people who rejected Christ 40 days ago, who abandoned Christ, who yelled, crucified him, who traded a, a murderer for their king, right? 40 days ago, this all happened, and Peter stood up, he preached this gospel, he showed them who Jesus Christ was, and the Bible says they were cut to their heart. They were convicted. Something moved in their spirit that made them realize, I've wronged, I've sinned. And they cried out to Peter, and they asked him, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent, all right? Verse 30, uh, 37, check this out. Peter, uh, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's bow our heads. Let me pray for us before we start. Father, I want to ask God that you would come and would you stir our hearts today. Would you stir our hearts for the affection of you, O Lord? Lord, we confess that so many times we run in so many different directions and we're so distracted in our lives, so caught up in our own personal things that, God, we have misplaced you, that we have disregarded you, and that we have forgotten you. And even more, Father, we have forgotten this community that you have called us to be a part of, a community that you have bled and died for. So today, Lord, as we look into what it looks like to build this community, I pray for discernment among all the listeners. I pray for our ears to be open, our hearts to be receptive, oh God, and for our spirit to be convicted, to move and to change this day. Oh God, would you, con- would you anoint me with your spirit, Father, and worthy as I am to preach your word, I ask, oh God, that you would give me your strength to do so today. I praise you, I thank you, I pray all these things in your name. Amen. How do we go about creating this non-selective, non-private, non-safe, completely gracious community that bears the name of Jesus Christ? The first thing we see here in Acts chapter 32, verse 37 and 39, we see that we need to be public about it. We need to be public about this community. We should publicly identify with him And the body that represents his family. Let me tell you what I mean. Do you profess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you know what the gospel is? Can you actually declare it with your lips? If people ask you, what do you believe in? Are you able to say, this is my truth. This is what I stand for. This is the bullet in which I will die for. This is the sword in which I will uh, will stake my claim for. This is my life. This is my center. You see, for for the people who heard the gospel here in this moment, they were cut to their heart and they said, what shall we do? What shall we do? And you know what Peter said? He said, repent and be baptized. Make this a public declaration. If the reality of God is in your life, do not make God some sort of sideshow for your life. Do Do not make God some sort of accessory to your life. Do not make God just something you bring up once in a while in your religious moment for your life. Make God a public part of your existence. If you have the the joy of showing people the next great boba spot, have the same joy of showing people that God is the, sal- the, the Savior of your life. Do you, let me tell you how crazy this was for them to make their life public here. For them to repent, right, for them to be baptized, you know what that meant for them back in the days? Forty days ago, the very authorities in this city, you know what they did? They crucified Jesus Christ. They crucified him 40 days ago. And now all these people, 3,000 of them, the Bible says, They said, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. What was Peter telling them? Put a target on your back. Make a public declaration to everyone, your family members, to your cousins, to your distant relatives, to the authorities around you, that you stand with this man. It was a crazy declaration to publicly declare this. 
was to basically say, I'm willing to die at any moment for Jesus. To be baptized in his name at that moment was a, was a death sentence for believers. Today, I know we think about baptism as kind of cute. We have flowers. We even celebrate. We do this little nice little thing. Back then, baptism was a public declaration of death. The equivalent of it would be like this. Do you want to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? By doing so, you have to give me your arm. Literally cut it off, right? As a way of getting, would you? You would think twice about this. You would really think twice about whether I want to make a public declaration, whether I really want to invest and give my all to this, right? Because it's going to cost me something. If you want to build this community, if this is a community that we're called to build so that our belief becomes our character, so that our belief actually shows up in our life, the first thing you have to make sure that gets through your mind, your heart, and your being is that my faith is a public faith. My declaration to my allegiance and my loyalty to God is to no other. You repent. Look, when you repent, guys, it's not, it's not your moral perfection that qualifies you. Anybody who ever tells you, I'm not ready to go back to church because I don't feel like I'm ready, tell them, that's not what the church is. You being good does not qualify you for salvation. It's rather your recognition that you're not ready is what qualifies you. It's your recognition that you lack moral perfection coupled with your hunger for it, your hunger for salvation that makes you qualified for this. So anytime you believe that somehow you have to be perfect or morally pure for you to be part of this community, you have gotten the wrong message. I never preached that to you. I don't know who you're listening to. But you got to be public about this. You want to see change in your life. You want to see real change in your life, then stop hiding your faith. Stop hiding your faith. Stop letting God be some sort of accessory to you. Let him be center. Jesus publicly identified himself with the church. You guys know that? He didn't hide from you. The Bible says they're mine. Jesus says I will vouch for them. I will stand for them. I will die for them. He publicly, in front of everyone, says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus identified himself with the church, with you, with the body. How arrogant, how foolish, how, how shameful is it that there is so much fear in our hearts that when it comes to us being public with God, we keep it quiet. We keep it hidden. And if by chance, when some weird inconsistent, when all the moons align, and someone brings up Jesus, then we'll start talking about it. All right? Then we start bringing it up. Now, I always make fun of um, uh, our brother, Hi. You guys know Hi with Grace and uh, Amy and Josie and the kids, right? You know, I went to school with that guy, right? You know, I also was in the same badminton team as him, right? You know that I actually played with him, right? And the whole time... In looking back, I said, bro, you were a Christian the whole time. I was like, yeah. Why didn't you save me, right? Why, why didn't you say anything, you know? Like, I didn't even know. How come you didn't? I said, like, you know, he, he's laughing now. He's like, you know, if I told you about Jesus back then, you probably would not have followed Jesus, man, you know? I was in a dark place, you know? But I was like, man, I didn't know that there was a believer standing next to me while I'm playing a game the whole entire time. 
That was a church. I mean, that, that was a school, right? How do we create this community? Be public about it. You got you to stake your claim. Stop running. Stop hiding. Stake your claim. Be public about it. Here's the second thing. All right? Look at what the, uh, look in verse uh, 46. This is when they gathered together. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere heart. Verse 46. How do you create this community? Physically and geographically be with each other. Physically, geographically be with each other. They gathered in the temples, and they gathered in each other's homes. Meaning they were there on Sundays, and they were there on Wednesdays, Fridays, Thursdays, wherever we meet. In their homes. They were physically with each other. If you want to build a community that is open and transparent and not safe and, 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 is, and is able to speak into, his, into each other's life, you got to be physically together. You can't connect with people being far away. You can't connect with people over a screen. It's hard. I mean, it's possible if you really try, but it's very difficult. You gotta be in each other's life. You gotta watch each other. You gotta see how we respond. You gotta laugh with each other, break bread with each other. You gotta physically be there. You know, we, we have um, to, to keep each other accountable, to keep each other, uh, be, to be able to be transparent with each other. Non privacy is to actually be in each other's lives, physically there. We have an online uh, forum here, right? We created this because of COVID, but we offer it as a supplement. As a supplement, when conditions don't allow for you to be able to gather, you're sick, you couldn't come out, you got COVID, you're out of town for work, right? Your family went on a vacation, you're at home caring for a sick parent. Something's going on where you can't actually physically be here, so we have this thing as a supplement, not as a replacement. You guys get me? It's a supplement, not a replacement here. It is there to, hey, you know what? Though I cannot be there physically, I'm still there. And then later on, I will find my way to get back into that because that's what it's supposed to be. We're meant to be here physically with each other. But not only that, it's like geographically they were closely. Back then, people didn't move around. Moving around was dangerous. Moving from place to place was dangerous. Um, living life on the road was dangerous. So it wasn't like the way we travel nowadays. Geographically, they were together. Now, I'll tell you this. There is no commandment in the Bible that you have to be, as a Christian, command that you must be closer to each other or closer to the church. There's no commandment like that, right? But imagine, imagine how, 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 how close the community comes together when you're geographically close to each other. When mom needs to run an errand, hey, can you come over and watch my kid for a second? Sure. Right? When, when, when parents need uh, to go on a date night because they haven't seen each other, been with each other for a long time, hey, can you guys come over and watch our kids? Sure. Hey, you know what? We're having dinner. You know, there's extra. Come on over. Have food with us. Awesome. You integrate daily lives with one another. You can offer quick access to each other of discipleship or hospitality. Hey, I just, I just fought with my parents. Can I stop over and sleep with you? Yeah, come over. Sleep in my house. Right? You, these are things you think about when you purchase a home, when you think about a job. Is my home so far from the community that it makes it so difficult for me to actually be with people? Is my job actually keeping me away? Am I living in a place that financially is going to break my bank so that I can't actually help anybody and I'm just trying to survive here on my own? We're called 
to physically and geographically be close to each other. That's how transparency happens. That's how non-privacy begins to happen. That's how we get to close to each other. That's how accountability works. That's how we open doors for discipleship. That's how we open doors for being able to be next to each other and speak truth into each other's lives. That's the community we're called to be. we got to be close. And so, so many times we're thinking, what's best for me? What's best for, for this? What's best for that? But we don't think about the bigger picture. Right? Let me tell you a story. Uh, when I was in um, college, there was a staff. Uh, he, was, he was one of the main staff of CCC, KCCC. I was in his campus ministry, right? Uh, but he was one of the original staff, and, you know, like, he's, like, really good. And so uh, one day, the, 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 the president said, hey, I want you to go up north to plant our organization up in this campus in San Francisco. And he said, come on, man. Like, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the EM pastor of a church down here. I don't want to be apart from him. I don't want to leave this place, you know. Can you just put me somewhere around here? And for some reason, the president said, no, I want you to go up there. So said, what am I supposed to do with my community here then? He said, well, you got to leave them. All right. I know this sounds kind of weird. Like, why would they say that? Sometimes we're all broken people, okay. We say stupid things, right. But anyways, he said, you got to go. There's no one else who's going to do it. We need you up there. And so he was, I mean, he wasn't going to quit. This guy was kind of like die for Jesus in every possible way, right? He wasn't going to quit because he made a commitment. It was a two-year commitment to the staff that he was going to do it. He was going to finish it. But he had his community. He had his church. He had his people. You know what he did? He went up north. He got a place out there with his family. He served the ministry, the campus over there. Every Friday for two years, he drove back to be with the community. Every Friday for two years. He did it until his, his stint at the San Francisco thing was over, and he drove back. And, he, and then he moved his whole family back. People were like, dude, just, just take a two-year break, man. Like, no one's going no to fault you for it. And you know what he said? That's what he said. He said, my job will end soon. But the lives of my people are for eternity. If I'm going to invest anything, I'm going to invest in the lives of my people. Not a job. All right? Jesus Christ physically and geographically came to be with us. Did he not? He left heaven. If there's any other geographical boundary that you can cross, that's crazy. Jesus left heaven to be with us. How do you form a community that's not just a facade of a community, but a community of power, a community of people integrated into each other's lives, a community of people that's able to be transparent and accountable to each other, a community of people that can actually lift the world around them up. How? Physically. You got to be with each other. You cannot do church alone in your house on a Sunday watching Sunday football. Go Bills, right? You can't. You can't. But here's the third thing. The Bible said they met in houses, verse, 40, uh, verse 46. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In their homes. You know what that means? They were socially inviting. Not everyone had homes back then. So the people who had homes were the rich people, right? And who do you think they invited? There were 3,000 people, guys. Who do you think they invited? And they were not all well-off people here. It ranged from rich to extremely poor. It ranged from educated 
to not educated. It ranged from blue collar to white collar. It ranged from old to young. But the Bible says they opened their homes and they allowed for these social boundaries to be taken away. They were not selective in their social boundaries and they brought people into their homes. Didn't matter whether you were rich, young, old, we gathered together because we're all in the same place before the eyes of God, broken in need of salvation. They were not selective in their connection. You know what that means? You want to build a community that's actually going to bring change to your life? You got to break out of your social comfort zones. Our friendships should break boundaries. We shouldn't just always be with people that is clicking with us, that we get along with, that we seem to have a lot of um, uh, hobbies that are similar. Whether rich or poor, young or old, educated or uneducated, one ethnic group or the other ethnic group, we're called to break these boundaries, not to be selective about them, and to reach out and be with people. We got to be socially inviting. Let me tell you what that means. It means be with the youth. Right? Stop thinking that you don't have anything in common with them. You obviously don't. Right? But be with them anyway. Okay? It's easy. Just learn a bunch of Gen Z words, go in front of them, start saying a bunch of them, and then they'll just laugh, and then there you are. You're connected. Right? <laughs> I learned a new one today, but I'm not sure if it's a real one, so I'm not going to use it yet. Right? <laughs> Come and hang with older people that have children. But they have bedtimes, PT. <laughs> Their time is limited and they can't do a lot of stuff. Go be with them anyways, right? Invite singles over to your house for a meal, right? But they're immature. They have no sense of purpose. They have no value. They add no value to our lives. Be with them anyway. Join a small group. Stop trying to figure out which one fits me best and start asking which one can I offer my service to best. How evil is it, guys, when all of a sudden we start hearing voices around each other and within ourselves saying stuff like, I don't want to be friends with them, right? We have different backgrounds. We're not interested in the same things. They're just so taxing to be around. They're just emotionally draining. They don't add value to my life. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says this. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing. He was God, not you, and he became human like you. Therefore, consider others better than yourself when it comes to who you hang with. Look to the interests of those around you, not your own. We got to break these boundaries. We got to fight to break them. God was not selective with us. Why would we all of a sudden esteem ourselves so high that we feel like I can only be with people that are connected, that, that, that connects with me? You think you had anything in common with God, with the God of the universe? Do you, do you actually believe that you had anything in common with the God of the universe? No, you did not. But he came to be with you anyway. You think Jesus didn't have to limit his time and his energy to be with you? That you weren't taxing? Of course you were, but he did it anyways. You think that you were mature, that you added value to his life? Of course you didn't, but he was there anyway. The gospel tells us, the gospel breaks all boundaries. That's, that, that's 
why it's so gracious and so beautiful. It creates within its believers, within its people, a mindset that tells them it does not matter where you came from, who you are, what you did, your background, your pedigree, your status, your bank account. That does not matter. Only thing that matters is you need a savior. You are a sinner in need of a savior. And it levels the playing field. You can sit in the same home with a doctor and a mailman. Someone who is PhD college grad, someone who barely graduated high school, and still in that same circle, be united, broken, loving, and transparent to each other. That's how we break boundaries. All right? See, the worst thing, the worst thing here is this. The worst thing is that we create all these facades of a Christian community. We're gathering. We're gathering. But there's no power in your gathering. You gather with those you only like. You exclude those you can't stand or can't deal with. You don't let them in. You don't open doors. You create walls. When all the while, how arrogant is it that our God will step down from heaven itself to be with the most taxing, the most immature, no value added beings ever. And yet he did it anyway. It's in that, there's something powerful in that. There's something powerful in that hospitality. There's something powerful in that connection that drives and elevates and lifts people up. That's the power and the graciousness of the Christian community. But that will never be seen. That will never be created if all you do is talk about your belief, but there is no change in your character. All we will see is a facade of Christianity without its power in your life. All we will see is an inconsistency that shows up once in a while, and at worst, a hypocrisy that shows up all the time. Versus the power that actually changes people from dead to life. You guys follow me? Right? Here's the fourth thing. How do we create a community that's not selective, not private, not safe, and gracious? Look what the Bible says here. Verse 45. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. They gave to anyone as selling their possessions, selling their properties and their possessions, Right? The Bible says they would sell their properties. Some of them, later on chapter 4, you'll see that some of them would sell properties. That's real estate. That's land. Land was power back then. Even today, real estate is power, right? You have real estate, it's always going to grow. You're always going to have something. They sold real estate. You know why they had to sell real estate? Because there were 3,000 people that just showed up. No one was going to feed them. Who's going to watch out for them? Who's going to take care of this? Someone's got to do it. And these people, these believers, these saints, these sons of old, what did they do? Heart turned, changed by the heart, by, by, by the gospel itself, realizing the reality of God, endowed with this beautiful understanding of the graciousness of God's sacrifice in their life, knowing that now the finances that I have are just, it's not for me, it's not about me. That God has given me this for the public good, for the community good, for those around me. They took their properties. They took their possessions, they sold it, and they gave to those who are in need. They lived generously. They lived generously. 
Because they recognized the divine generosity that was theirs. Christ gave his life. This wasn't some sort of thing that they kind of understood in the background. They knew it from the depth of their heart. Christ gave his life for me. And they counted all they had as no longer their own. To be hoarded and saved. They count everything they had to be given and used. Money was not a means for their consumption. Money was not a means for them to boast of their personal value and worth. Money was not a means for their personal security. Money was not a means for their personal pleasure or for them to enjoy a certain way of life. Money was a means to do God's work. It was God's provision to them to build community. It's supposed to be out there. It's supposed to be put out there. To be given, to be invested in people, giving it away. You're supposed to be plowing your finances into the city, into the community, into your neighborhoods, into the people around you. That's what the money was for. It wasn't for self-interest. And, when it, and in the Bible, you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, when they, when, when they used it for self-interest. They gave the money away, but it was for, for, for their personal recognition that they did that. What happened? They were struck down. Because that's not a gospel-centered way of giving. Gospel-centered way of giving was that this money I have blessed you with, use it for your bills, use it for your personal survival, what you need, and what is left, give it away. Use it for the community. Some of us, some of us, let me tell you guys this, right? Some of you guys are all, you're all confused. Like, well, I don't know where to give, man. I'm, I'm all over the place. I don't understand where to give. I'm, I'm going to share with you guys three ways in which we see in this passage, three ways in which you can give. Three, three, three actions of giving, that if you would do this, it's, You've been faithful in this area, right? First, what did they do? In chapter 4, I didn't see it here, but chapter 4, they said they sold these properties and they laid it at the apostles' feet. They laid it at the apostles' feet, meaning that here, you use it, leaders of the church, for the needs of the community. You figure it out. We don't know what it's for, but you know the needs. You know the, you know the issues. You know the problems. Lay it down. Give it out. It's for you to use, right? And why did they do that? The first place you give, the places you ought to give, the place that equips you with the gospel for the work of ministry. It's a place that equips you for the gospel, with the gospel, for the work of ministry. Right? Paul, when he went on his whole missionary journey, you know what he did with all the Gentile churches, all the non-Jewish churches? You know what he did? Wherever he went, they gave an offering. You know why? Right? This was their attitude. You have given us something of pure worth and value, greater than gold itself. You have given us the truth of life. You have given us the passageway to eternal life. You have given us our eternal salvation. You have shown us the way. We give this as an offering to you to use as you see fit for the community, for the poor in Jerusalem, for those who are in need. You give to the work of the community. You give generously. Our, so listen, our act of giving... It's not a charity case that we pick and choose. Our act of giving is a response to his act of giving. We give to this community so this community can continue to bring its resources, its strength, and its usage to equip, to build more people to do the work of ministry out, outside the walls that we have here. It is to continue to proclaim the gospel. Some of us think, how much do I give? Whatever the cross is for you. Whatever it is that's a sacrifice for you. Right? If Jesus gave 10%, you'd still be dead. 
right? It was a sacrifice. Some people, 2% is a huge sacrifice. I mean, how do you give when you have nothing? Then you give zero, right? You got nothing. But some people, 20% is nothing. It's doable. It's not the amount that matters. It's the willingness to give the sacrifice, right? You give, you give to the community, you give to the church, you give to the place that, that, that is used to equip the people for the work of ministry with the gospel. Because this work is eternal salvation for those around us. You give faithfully to it, generously to it, consistently to it. Second place you give. All right? You give to a need. You give to a gospel-centered, Christ-led cause that God has placed great passion in your heart for. For a lot of these guys in here in the scripture, they gave because why? A lot of them, there were a lot of needs happening. Every day, people, the Bible says there were people were coming in. And every day, people need to eat. Every day, people need to survive. So what did they do? There was a need for the homeless. There was a need for the poor. There was a need for these things. And so people gave because they saw something that really stirred their hearts. Look at all these people. All these people who cannot help themselves, who need the hand, who needs the hand of somebody to lift them out of the state of poverty. Just like I was, lost in my sin, who needed the hand of grace to lift me out of my death. They gave to a cause. What does that look like for us? Give faithfully to organizations like Compassion International, right? To homeless ministries, sex trafficking, inner city youth, neighborhoods. Whatever it is that God has placed on your heart that is, that is doing good work for the community and for the people, bringing the gospel as well as helping and serving people, give to that. Give faithfully to it, Right? I remember when I was at uh, the Korean church, we, uh, in our small group, we, we used to uh, give to this uh, Compassion International. We all funded one child, okay? We were, poor, we were all poor back then. So we were all, like, you know, putting five bucks a month, and we funded one child, right? Kirinet Kafile, you know? And after I left, we forgot to fund them for a couple, <laughs> couple years, right? And so, like, I, I, I finally saw an email. I was like, oh, oh, no, right? So picked back up. Now, I've been, and we've been doing, I've been doing that for the past nine years. He's almost 16 now. He's going to opt out of the whole uh, system soon. But you just give. You give faithfully to this. Right? And think about, think about, think about the people who did this. Right? When they, when they laid the money down at the apostles' feet, they weren't saying like, Peter, I want 15% of this to go to that, 20% of this to go to that, 30% to go of that. No. That was not their attitude at all. Their attitude is, you know the needs of our church. You know what we need to bring the gospel here. You're good stewards. You've done, use it as you need. And they gave. See, the reason why we begin to question always is because, it's, again, it's self-interested and self-motivated. Right? I only want to give somehow if it, if it somehow benefits me. If somehow, somehow it's, it's a cause that I like. Something I want, something I think is important. I'll be honest, you guys, we, Jason, every, and his team, every year, they stress about the budget all the time, right? Because my rule for them is this be a good steward, right? Don't overspend. 
That's it. Be a good steward. Don't overspend. Make sure the money is used for God's work, God's kingdom, and however cause it is. Figure out what they need. Figure out what they don't need. Right? Figure out what is a need and figure out what is a want. And their job is just to go and talk, discern, figure out. Like in, They're stressed all the time. Right? And how, how, how arrogant, something, how, how horrible is it that when someone comes like, hey, I don't like what you did here. It's like, bro, you understand. Like, this is not just in and of itself. There's like a whole web that's connected to this, right? You, you have to understand that there's a whole process that goes on here. Okay? I'm gonna put, I'll put the budget up for you guys. I'll let you guys see it. I have no problem with that, right? The only problem I have is self-interest heart saying, you know what? I don't like that. I don't like this. There was a season. There was a season where there was a people like, why are we investing so much in technology? Thank God we did, right? I mean, COVID hit. I mean, I didn't foresee it. I don't know. I don't know how maybe Jason saw it. I don't know. Maybe he just, maybe he just really wanted it. I don't know, right? But thank the Lord, right? Because when it hit, we were able to get online fast enough. You don't know. And yet you have the audacity to be on the outside critiquing what you don't see. So you give to a place that equips you with the gospel of the work of ministry. You give to a gospel-centered, Christ-led cause. I mean, not one or the other, okay? You do both, okay? And then thirdly, set aside some for random need that may come up. A random need that may come up. Give spontaneously. You set aside. Doesn't matter what you set aside. The amount is on you, between you and God. But set aside some. Someone's car got totaled. Can't get around. But they need to get around, Right? To provide for their family, whatever. If you have an old car lying around that you were going to swap, swap out anyways, let it be a donation. You guys know Paul Cho. He's going to be our youth director coming up. It was so cute. He, he told me, he, never, you know, he, he, he grew up in California. He never drove in snow before. So he went to Philadelphia. The first time he went, to, he went there, guess what happened? He caused a seven-hour accident on the freeway. <laughs> yeah. Seven hours. Right? He shut down the freeway. You know, it's like this California. But it's not his fault. He bought a... $1,200 car on Craigslist because he couldn't, he just went, oh, I just need a car. And he didn't know anything about like chains and weather tires. He just, I just need a car to get from point A to point B, right? And he got nowhere because he crashed. And here's what the church did. They gave him a car. One of the, one of the people in the church, I don't know who it was, they just donated a car to him. An old car. It wasn't like, you know, some fancy Tesla here, right? No one that crazy. But he just donated a car to him. Got from point A to point B. A random thing just showed up, being able to do that, to be a blessing like that. Someone lost their home due to bankruptcy or a, a, a thing that happened. Put them up for a few nights or a month or so until things get settled down in a place to sleep, in a hotel, motel, anywhere, right? A crisis or catastrophe happened and people are in need of help in our country. Give to the cause. Give to the help. Now, what if I don't have any money to give, PT? Then give your service. Give your time. Give your energy, Right? Do you know that there is a huge blood drought in this country right now? Like, because COVID, no one's giving blood apparently, right? I get, I don't know if you guys get the phone call. I get phone calls from Red Cross every week. Like, one week I'll be like, I just gave blood, guys. How much, can you guys take another lead? I'm like, I don't know, right? And they'll be like, yeah, but can we get your platelets this time? I'm like, okay, right? And they come back like next week, oh, you know, can we get your blood again? I'm like, Ugh. right? If you can't give money, give time, give service. But something random that comes up, set aside for that. A wedding comes up. A wedding comes up in the church among brothers and sisters. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me give a PSA announcement here about weddings, okay? 
If you think giving and wedding is a transactional thing, you have misunderstood what weddings are about. Do you know why you give an offering in a wedding and why you, you bless somebody in a wedding? You don't give the money. You, you don't go into a wedding and say, the food was meh, I'll take back 20, right? Oh, they, they, had, they had drinks, but they didn't have top shelves, so I'll take back 50, you know? This, was, this seems like enough and appropriate to cover what they gave me. If you thought it was a transaction like that, repent, okay? You're freaking evil, okay? A wedding, a wedding... When you go to, a, especially a Christian brother and sister's wedding, you know what you're supposed to do when you offer a gift like that? Whether it's finances or just a gift, what you're doing is you're saying this, I want to help you prepare your home so that together as husband and wife, you're preparing a legacy for God's kingdom. I want to encourage you with that. I may not have enough, I may have a lot, but I will give you this as a blessing. To show up and to be willy-nilly and be like, eh, well, I guess I deserve it. Repent, please. That's not what weddings are. Weddings are never meant to be like that. When there's a wedding in the, in the church, think about that. I mean, if you can't give money, give your service. Can I usher for you? Can I serve food? For, what can I do to bless you and prepare you for the life that God's prepared you for? As husband and wife. But you're giving. You guys get me? Right? I don't think, do I, do I, do I need to teach that to you? I hope you guys, in Vietnamese it's called big deal, right? In English it's called be a faithful giver, guys. You know, help create spiritual legacy. Okay? Where do you give? Now, I'm, I'm harping on this a lot. I'm harping on this a lot because a lot of times where, where our money is is where our heart is. Right? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not telling you guys, I need you guys to, like, break your bank in giving. But I am saying, if Christ has given his life sacrificially for you, your money is not your own. It's been given to you for the blessing of the community around you. You give as a blessing. You give to help propagate the gospel. You give to help take care of those in need, those who, who, who are out there who are fighting the cause that you would like to fight for, that if you had enough time, you would do it, but you can't. So you give as an angel, as an angel donor to do what? To bless them so that they can continue to fight for it. Randomly within the church, there's always something happening to give. Jesus was not transactional in his sacrifice. So why are we transactional in our thoughts when it comes to our finances? How do we create, and this, I'm, when I'm telling you guys this, this whole community discipline here, I'm not telling you just to take one at a time. I'm taking the overall process that you take in doing this and building this community, the overall investment day by day, being there, being able to be public about it, being able to be physically there, being socially inviting, financially generous, these things that you do continuously, consistently, habitually, what happens is it begins to take the belief that you proclaim with your mouth and it begins to actually change the heart that God has for you. Change your heart for the good. Change your heart so that when people see you, they see a person, a son or daughter who actually reflects what they say. But here's the fifth thing. 
Be vocationally submissive. Be vocationally submissive. And what do I mean by this? It means you got to really think about your job. Okay? I know that's a hard one for you guys. You know, you guys are single. You guys can't find a job yet. And you're like, you know, I just, I just need a job, PT. All right? I just, I just need a job. I need to pay some bills. But be vocationally submissive. Sometimes, if you are working, it means what? It means you, you turn down a promotion. Or more money because you know that with such things comes the unavailability of time to be with people and invest in lives. Sometimes you give up having to move to another city for work or downgrade from a larger, more reputable company to a smaller one. So that you can be able to care for the church and family. Sometimes refusing to work on Sundays or quitting. I know people in our church who refuse to work on Sundays. Sometimes they even lost their job because they refused to work on Sunday. Because that's when the church gathers. So I'm not giving up my Sunday for this. Am I saying that this is as like, it's like set in stone, like you can never ever not work? No. There are, of course there are reasons. There are, of course there are seasons. Right? But it shouldn't be the habit. It shouldn't be the instinct. It shouldn't be your reflex. It shouldn't be a choice. When I first became, I, I learned this lesson when I first became a believer, you know. It was, this is actually the, one of the hardest lessons for me uh, when I first learned uh, to be a believer was I grew up in a non-Christian family, right? So my mom, my grandma taught me what? You got to work. <clears throat> you want to eat? You got to work, right? So I worked, I, worked, I worked since the moment I was able to actually work legally, right? And when I first became a believer, I mean, I worked every day. I worked during the weekends. I worked all those times. And... Here on Sunday, I mean, and then I start you know, showing up to church, and I see my pastor, youth pastor Steve, chewing out some of these college kids, some of these high school kids, about them working on Sundays, not being able to show up to church. And, you know, to me, I was like, oh, it's not a big deal, right? Like, I was like, it's, not, it's, it's a job. They need to work. You know, like, they need to pay bills. You know, there's things that they have to do. So I, I went on to talk to Steve. I was like, hey, Steve, I don't get it, man. Like, job's a job. Like, why are you on their case so much about this, right? Like, Sunday, it's fine. They, they have Saturdays. They can go to Bible studies. So why, why do we have to, like, why do we have to, like, why do you have to, like, be so hard on them about this? <clears throat> this is what he said. He said, he said again, our jobs, our jobs will not last. When you, when, when you make a decision to focus on your job as the first and foremost of your heart, you forget the idea that God has called us to do what? To love him and love people. See, I don't want them, he's, I don't want them to make a habit for their life going into the future where they constantly think about having to work so they abandon their families. So why we got to work, right? You want that vacation? I got to work extra jobs. I got to get those extra hours in. I got to have that, right? And then what happens? You don't spend time with your kids? You don't spend time with your wife or your husband? You bring in cash, that's great. But you neglected your whole family. A lot of the, let me tell you, a lot of the high school kids, I talked to a lot of the young brothers when I was at the retreat. A lot of, a lot of them have a lot of wounds. And a big part of their wounds, right, you know what it is? It's that their dads and their mom went around a lot. And the only thing that they taught their kids to focus on was achievement. 
and they felt insecure. They felt low if they didn't achieve greater. That's why everything, everything about their prayer life was school. So why? I need to get good grades. Why? I need to get a good job. Why? Financially sound. Why? That's what my parents tell me. Rather than investing only in, I'm not, and again, I'm not saying work is bad here, guys. I'm not saying having a job is bad. I'm the one who said get a job before you get a wife, right? It's, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that oftentimes we make jobs such a priority that we neglect community. Right? Here's the sixth thing. Be involved in each other's lives. Be involved in each other's lives. Do you believe this is only half of the message? If I went, oh man, the other half, it would have been another hour, right? <laughs> be involved in each other's lives, right? From Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, this is what the Bible says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgress, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Be involved in each other's lives. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. It means you got to say something. If you, if you, if you want to see a community that's going to bring change, if you want to see change in your life, you got to be with people who is willing to say something into your life. When you watch somebody who is doing things that are, that are detriment to their life, their spiritual life, their physical life, their mental life, you got to say something. You can't be passive about it. If you see someone dating Somebody, and there's a bunch of red flags, you got to say something. Don't press like on their picture, right? If you, are, if, if you see someone making choices that are separating them from God and community, say something. Don't be passive about it. If they're, beginning, if they're bringing division and disunity through their gossip or their influence, and it's hurting the community, you got to say something. Don't just let it slide. It means you got to be a part of each other's lives. You got to invest. I know this sounds like, but it's my life. Yeah. But my hope for you is that God, you have to understand, your life and my life, we're bonded together by the Spirit of God. You're my brother and you're my sister. I cannot possibly say that I love you and watch you do what you're doing. Right? I can't, you can't. It's almost morally reprehensible, guys. To see your brother, your sister, whom you declare with your lips, I love you, right? I'm here for you. I got your back. And then watch them do all these things that's taking them in the opposite direction of where God's calling them to be and not say anything. The number one issue among brothers is our passivity. Now, if you've been in men's group, you understand this, right? That's the number one thing I always harp on. You're called to bring flourishing. The only reason it doesn't happen is you're passive. You let things slide. You don't say things when you should say things because you're afraid of what? Hurting their feelings? You're afraid of what? Stepping on toes? They're walking in the opposite direction of where God wants them to be. They're making choices that's leading them towards the gates of hell, and you're going to do what? I don't want to hurt their feelings. That's morally reprehensible. Now, do I, do I mean that you just get in everyone's face all the time and say, hey, hey, hey? No. At least have a relationship with them, right? You gotta be physically around them that they know you, that they care, that you know that they care for you, to be able to speak this truth into their life. But you gotta say something. Jesus saw us dying in our sins and didn't just say something, he did something. 
Jesus saw us a whole generation, a whole race of humanity lost and dying, moving into eternity of hell without him because of our sins. And he didn't just say something. He did something. So how weird is it for you as brothers and sisters watching those around you whom you claim to love with your lips not do something about it? Do you recognize that sometimes, doesn't matter, sometimes you say something and they'll hate you for it? But you do good because it's the good thing to do. You do it right because it's the right thing to do. You do it out of love. You do it with patience. You do it with temperance. You do it not with hostility, with humility, but you do it. Sometimes, I, I promise you, a kind, gentle word of love and truth from a brother and sister can wake somebody up from a road that they're walking down. They might not even know that they're walking down that road. But they need somebody alongside to say, get up, stop, turn around, go back. Sometimes we get so caught up in our own little spiritual highness that we forget to go back and find those of our brothers who's been running backwards all this time. You want to build a community that's going to bring change? You want to be a community that's going to actually have change? You want to have change in your life? You better let somebody into your life. You best let somebody speak into your life. So here's my conclusion. I know that after hearing all these points, right, that was pretty good, PT. I like that, right? Very practical. But the problem is, I don't want to do it. Why should I sacrifice when nobody else is? Why should I be the one giving when nobody else is? Why should I be the one laying down my rights when nobody else is? I don't want to do it unless I see other people doing it too. I'm not going to go all in unless others are going all in too. Let me tell you something. If that's in your mind, can I just share with you? It's not gospel. That's not Christ-centered. That's self-interest. Your self-interest takes over your heart. Your, your self-absorption is taking over your mind. Your self-seeking is taking over your action. You say stuff like, yeah, I'm down for sacrifice, but I ain't doing it if no one else is. You're telling me you confess with your mouth you believe, but your character does not want to show it. You, are, you will be inconsistent at best and hypocritical at worst. We don't look to other people for our actions. We don't look to other people to do what's right and to do what's good. We look to the cross as our example. We look to what Jesus Christ has done, not to others for our guidance. Don't you get it? We do good for the sake because it is good to do. We are doing it, we do what's right because it's the right thing to do, not because it brings you any type of recompense or recognition. You fight to create this community. Why? Because it's the body of Christ for which he bled and died for and for which you are a part of. Somebody has to sacrifice. And, 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 if, and, if, and if the pattern of what Christ did, in his sacrifice, he brought a whole generation to him and many more, how much more with your humble willingness 
to lay down your rights do for a community around you? How much more would your humble willingness to let go of your rights, to be public about your faith, to be physically there in the life of people, to be socially invested in their heart, financially invested in their, in their lives. How much more, vocationally submitting, how much more would that change the people around you? The gospel must drive your life, not the people around you. Not what people do or do not do. I get it. I get it. Oftentimes it's so hard. You're out here, you're thinking you're doing these things, and you're watching people continue to live their self-interest life, self-absorbed life, self-seeking life. And you're thinking, why can't they just get it? Why can't they just get it? If you ever get to that place, do what I do. Just remember, I was self-interested. You were self-absorbed. You were self-seeking. If not for the grace of Christ himself who came down to die for you, you would still be lost. I would still be lost. So what arrogance do I have to all of a sudden compare their actions to mine? I do what I do because God compels me to do what I do. I do what I do because the gospel moves in me to do what I do. It drives me to create a Christian community. Not a form of Christian community, but a Christian community with its power. The Bible says, this is what Jesus says, On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. The church of God, the community of God is an offensive weapon. It's an offensive entity, not a stagnant, self-seeking, self-identified building. But how often do we see that power working in the community? How often do you see that power working in your lives? You know why? Because oftentimes we speak like we believe. We proclaim with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, and yet our lives are inconsistent in it. Can I challenge you guys? Can I challenge you guys for 2022, rooted in Christ, that you will live your life with community, that you will live your life to build community, public about your faith, physically there with the people around you, financially there with those around you, socially, they're vocationally submitting for those around you, be in their lives. Can I challenge you to build a community that's going to outlast, a community that's going to grow, a community that's going to do God's work? Will you serve God even if there is no blessing? Will you, serve, will you sacrifice for God even if there is no return? Will you do right for the sake of God's righteousness even if no one recognizes it? Will you... Recognize that Jesus Christ and the salvation of your eternal soul is enough. Is it enough for you? Is it enough for you? Oh, that I would have Christians wake up from their world-driven slumber. Oh, that I would have sons and daughters of TLC who don't just speak Christianese, but live their life Changed and challenged by the community. Changed and disciplined themselves, building this community. Let's pray.